Chapter Fifteen of Men of Iron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kalinda. Men of Iron by Howard Pyle. Chapter Fifteen. From the long, narrow, stone-paved armory court and connecting it with the inner buttery court ran a narrow arched passageway in which was a picket gate closed at night and locked from within it was in this arched passageway that according to little robert ingoldsby's report the bachelors were lying in wait for miles gascoigne's plan was that miles should enter the court alone the knights of the rose lying ambushed behind the angle of the armory building until the bachelors should show themselves it was not without trepidation that miles walked alone into the court which happened then to be silent and empty. His heart beat more quickly than it was wont, and he gripped his cudgel behind his back, looking sharply this way and that, so as not to be taken unawares by a flank movement of his enemies. Midway in the court he stopped and hesitated for a moment, then he turned as though to enter the armory. The next moment he saw the bachelors come pouring out from the archway. Instantly he turned and rushed back towards where his friends lay hidden, shouting, "'To the rescue! To the rescue!' "'Stone him!' roared Blunt. "'The villain escapes!' He stopped and picked up a cobblestone as he spoke, flinging it after his escaping prey. It narrowly missed Miles's head. Had it struck him, there might have been no more of this story to tell. "'To the rescue! To the rescue!' shouted Miles's friends in answer, and the next moment he was surrounded by them. Then he turned, and, swinging his cudgel, rushed back upon his foes. The bachelors stopped short at the unexpected sight of the lads with their cudgels. For a moment they rallied and drew their knives. Then they turned and fled towards their former place of hiding. One of them turned for a moment and flung his knife at Miles with a deadly aim. But Miles, quick as a cat, ducked his body, and the weapon flew clattering across the stony court. Then he who had flung it turned again to fly, but in his attempt he had delayed one instant too long. Miles reached him with a long-arm stroke of his cudgel, just as he entered the passageway, knocking him over like a bottle, stunned and senseless. The next moment the picket-gate was banged in their faces, and the bolt shot in the staples, and the knights of the rose were left shouting and battering with their cudgels against the palings. But this time the uproar of fight had aroused those in the rooms and offices fronting upon the armory court. Heads were thrust from many of the windows with the eager interest that a fight always evokes. "'Beware!' shouted Miles. "'Here they come again!' He bore back towards the entrance of the alleyway as he spoke, those behind him scattering to right and left, for the bachelors had rallied and were coming again to the attack, shouting. They were not a moment too soon in this retreat, either, for the next instant the pickets flew open and a volley of stones flew after the retreating knights of the rose. One smote Wilkes upon the head, knocking him down headlong. Another struck Miles upon his left shoulder, benumbing his arm from the fingertips to the armpit, so that he thought at first the limb was broken. "'Get ye behind the buttresses!' shouted those who looked down upon the fight from the windows. "'Get ye behind the buttresses!' And in answer the lads, scattering like a newly flushed covey of partridges, fled to and crouched in the sheltering angles of masonry to escape from the flying stones. And now followed a lull in the battle." the bachelors fearing to leave the protection of the arched passageway lest their retreat should be cut off, and the knights of the rose not daring to quit the shelter of the buttresses and angles of the wall lest they should be knocked down by the stones. The bachelor whom Miles had struck down with his cudgel was sitting up rubbing the back of his head, 
and Wilkes had gathered his wits enough to crawl to the shelter of the nearest buttress. Miles, peeping around the corner behind which he stood, could see that the bachelors were gathered into a little group consulting together. Suddenly it broke asunder, and Blunt turned around. "'Ho! Falworth!' he cried. "'Wilt thou hold truce whilst we parley with thee?' "'Aye,' answered Miles. "'Wilt thou give me thine honour that ye will hold your hands from harming us whilst we talk together?' "'Yea,' said Miles, "'I will pledge thee mine honour. "'I accept thy pledge. "'See, here we throw aside our stones and lay down our knives. "'Lay ye by your clubs, and meet us in parley at the horse-block yonder.' "'So be it,' says Miles, and thereupon, standing his cudgel in the angle of the wall, he stepped boldly out into the open courtyard. Those of his party came scatteringly from right and left, gathering about him, and the bachelors advanced in a body, led by the head squire. "'Now what is it thou wouldst have, Walter Blunt?' said Miles, when both parties had met at the horse-block. "'It is to say this to thee, Miles Falworth,' said the other. "'One time, not long since,' Thou didst challenge me to meet thee hand to hand in the dormitory. Then thou didst put a vile affront upon me, for the which I had brought on this battle to-day, for I knew not then thou wert going to try the, thy peasant tricks of wrestling, and so, without guarding myself, I met thee as thou didst desire. But thou hadst thy knife, and would have stabbed him couldst thou have done so, said Gascoigne. Thou liest, said Blunt, I had no knife. And then, without giving him time to answer, "'Thou canst not deny that I met thee then at thy bidding, canst thou, Falworth?' "'Nay,' said Miles, "'nor haply canst thou deny it either.' And at this covert reminder of his defeat, Miles' followers laughed scoffingly, and Blunt bit his lip. "'Thou hast said it,' said he. "'Then, son, I meet thee at thy bidding, I dare to thee to meet me now at mine, and to fight this battle out between our two selves, with sword and buckler and bassinet as gentles should, and not in a wrestling match like two country hodges.' "'Thou art a coward caitiff, Walter Blunt,' burst out Wilkes, who stood by with a swelling lump upon his head, already as big as a walnut. "'Well thou knowest that Falworth is no match for thee at broadsword-play. Is he not four years younger than thou, and hast thou not had three times the practice in arms that he hath had? I say thou art a coward to seek to fight with cutting weapons.' Blunt made no answer to Wilkes's speech, but gazed steadfastly at Miles, with a scornful smile curling the corners of his lips. Miles stood looking upon the ground without once lifting his eyes, not knowing what to answer, for he was well aware that he was no match for Blunt with the broadsword. "'Thou art afraid to fight me, Miles Falworth,' said Blunt, tauntingly, and the bachelors gave a jeering laugh in echo. Then Miles looked up, and I cannot say that his face was not a trifle whiter than usual. "'Nay,' said he, "'I am not afraid, and I will fight thee, Blunt.' "'So be it,' said Blunt. "'Then let us go at it straight away in the armory yonder, "'for they be at dinner in the great hall, "'and just now there be no one to buy to stay us.' "'Thou shalt not fight him, Miles,' burst out Gascoigne. "'He will murder thee. "'Thou shalt not fight him, I say.' "'Miles turned away without answering him. "'What is to do?' called one of those "'who were still looking out the windows "'as the crowd of boys passed beneath. "'Blunt and Falworth are going to fight it out "'hand to hand in the armory,' answered one of the bachelors, "'looking up.' The brawling of the squires was a jest to all the adjoining part of the house, so the heads were withdrawn again, some laughing at the sparring of the crockerels. But it was no jesting matter to poor Miles. End of chapter 15 Recording by Kalinda in Raymond, New Hampshire, on January 17, 2008